And as you are seated, please grab a cop- your copy of God's Word uh, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, that is on page 955 uh, in my Bible and then also in the, the Bibles that are in the chair racks around you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I will be ver- reading verses 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Has anyone at the time of his call already has was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, There let him remain with God. Well, thank you, Andrew. I encourage you now to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, which is our sermon text for today. We are a people who are fascinated by work. Uh, When we... Meet people, we like to find out their name, we like to find out where they live, and what else do we like to find out? What kind of work do you do? Unfortunately, we are also often tempted to place value on people based upon the type of job that they have and the amount of money that they earn. But as we look carefully in God's word this morning, we're going to learn that what is most important is not what kind of work you do, but for whom you are ultimately working. Um, But let me ask you, do you enjoy working? (laughs) Um, the, The question applies to children, to students, to homemakers, to employees, to employers, to those retired Um, Maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And for a vast portion of the workforce, that's probably the best reason they can muster up the strength to get up and go to work each day. According to one poll, only 43% of American office workers are satisfied with their jobs. Uh, In Japan, uh, the figure drops down to 17%. Um, sometimes we think that work is a, a, a dirty word. And, and I want you to know that work existed in the Garden of Eden prior, even prior to the fall. Only after sin entered the world did work become toilsome and hard. But the redeeming work of Jesus Christ reverses that curse which includes learning to think about work in good ways. 
for the one alive in Christ and the one empowered by the Spirit work can be a good thing, not a burden. Our, our sermon text today uh, addresses slaves or bond servants, and we're going to learn from this text, but before we do that, I must give a word about slavery. Um, estimates are that at least one half of the Roman population at the time of Jesus were slaves, which meant that slaves were a common part of households at that time. Um, notice that here in 1 Timothy, Paul gives instruction for various relationships within the church, older and younger men, older and younger women, widows, elders, and even slaves. In, in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul addressed slaves in the context of other roles and responsibilities within a household, such as a husband and wife, parent and child, slave and master. In the Roman world, slaves were normally part of households and served as teachers for the children, various professional capacities such as doctors and nurses, craftsmen of all sorts, and then even more menial tasks as well. A slave could do these very things without breaking a, cl a clear command of Christ. In fact, in the Roman world, slaves function in ways similar to our workforce here in America, though certainly their social status was different. There, there are at least three things that must be said about this type of slavery. One is this. Scripture does not directly renounce all forms of slavery. Um, for, but first, we must acknowledge that the law did not allow Jews to enslave fellow Jews. Leviticus 25, verse 43 says, You shall not rule over them ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. So Israel's experience of being ruthlessly enslaved in Egypt seemed to be a constant reminder that this was not good. Though in, in other situations, the law did not prohibit slaves, uh, particularly with sojourners or captive nations among them. In some cases, if Israel took a nation captive in war, being alive as a slave was a better alternative than being killed by your captors. But, but even then, the command was not to rule over them ruthlessly. Uh, Leviticus 25, verse 46 makes that plain. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, Paul points out that the law was laid down to expose sin, including enslavers, among other sins. And then verse 11 of 1 Timothy 1 makes it clear that God that the gospel produces a way of life that does not include enslaving people or taking captive, taking people captive against their will for service. But there were other forms of slavery that the scriptures and the New Testament in particular 
certainly did not directly renounce. I've already mentioned that in the Roman world, many slaves were considered a part of the household and they would serve as teachers of children, doctors, nurses, craftsmen, and many other more menial tasks. Um, These were honorable tasks. It's not a one-to-one correlation, but Roman slavery was comparable to our modern-day workforce. Again, not, not perfectly, but it's close. I think it's in these types of situations that Scripture does not directly renounce all forms of slavery. There may be different reasons for this, one being that Christians were a very small voice in the Roman world. There were clearly, they were clearly a minority and considered a fringe subculture at very best. Also, changing the culture was not the primary focus of the church. Robert Yarbrough says this, and I quote, Paul's immediate goal in ministry was not revolutionary change of the social order. It was preaching and teaching the gospel for the sake of establishing enclaves of Christian believers and thereby ultimately redeeming the world. Christianity did not understand itself to be a revolutionary movement, even though its teachings had clear reformatory implications. Uh, As an example, it's interesting that in the book of Philemon, Paul sent Onesimus, who was a runaway slave, even maybe stole from his owner. He was a runaway slave, but Paul sent him back to his owner, who was Philemon. And this is interesting for at least two reasons. One, in doing this, Paul was keeping the Roman law, which stated that it was illegal to house a runaway slave. Uh, Second, Paul didn't demand Philemon set Onesimus free, but instead exhorted him to treat Onesimus as a brother in the Lord, which is of greater significance than any other social status. So in the Roman world, runaway slaves would face stiff justice. Here, Paul urges Philemon to forgive any debts owed to him and to receive Onesimus as a brother in Christ. So Paul didn't tackle head-on the issue of slavery, but the solution that he offered certainly would have impacted how other people would view slavery. Paul's handling of Onesimus this way, he handled Onesimus this way because though Scripture does not directly renounce all Slavery, Scripture does promote equality in Christ. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is huge. In Christ, Jew and Gentile are equal in value. Slave and free are equal in value before God's eyes. And male and female are equal in value as individuals before God. Who who we are as human beings made in the image of God and who we are as a people redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus is 
far more valuable than anyone's social status with other men. Who we are before men is much less significant than who we are in God's eyes. When a person is born again and he repents and believes the gospel, he, he or she is immediately set free from slavery to sin. Immediately he is free in Christ to love God and to love people. Immediately he is able to do all that he does for the glory of God. Nothing, absolutely nothing now hinders that person from freely serving others in honorable ways for the sake of Christ. And I think that gives people great hope. Historically, the battle against slavery in various countries has taken years and and generations to uh, undo. But in Christ, being set free from slavery to sin trumps all other things or people that enslave us. But sadly, it should be noted that still today, worldwide, many people are still enslaved. According to Wikipedia, the International Labor Organization estimates that by their definition, over 40 million people are in some form of slavery today. Uh, 24.9 million people are in forced labor, of whom 16 million people are exploited in the private sector, such as domestic work, construction, or agriculture. 4.8 million persons in forced sexual exploitation. And 4 million persons in forced labor imposed by state authorities. Uh, An additional 15.4 million people are in forced marriages. So this is not good. Um, This is not the kind of life that the gospel of Jesus Christ produces. And so it should not surprise us to learn that Scripture does encourage freedom if possible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Verse 20 and 21, a portion of scripture that Andrew read earlier, gives clear and simple advice. And I quote, each person, each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Again, the context here, I think, is referring to household slaves, teachers, doctors, nurses, craftsmen, woodcutters, etc. These are, these are good things. It's work that is good, it's noble, it's honorable. And Ephesians 6, in a parallel passage speaking of slavery, Ephesians 6 says that the slave who does what is good as unto the Lord, the Lord sees that and is pleased. So it's possible a slave might be doing a good work, but for an unjust master. And in those situations, Peter says in chapter 2 of 1 Peter that if you suffer in that situation, suffer for doing good, 
not evil. Again, I think the situation here is clearly something closer to our modern-day workforce. But even in those situations, Paul says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Um, That would be a good thing, Paul says. In the Roman world, it was clearly possible for slaves to gain their freedom. And Paul encouraged that. Now, if gaining freedom was encouraged in those kinds of situations where slaves were doing a work that was good, how much more so should it be for those enslaved to do that which was not good? Many situations, unfortunately, even today, are far from are far more egregious, such as forced sexual exploitation. In those situations, godly would clearly want you set free. Enslavers who take people captive against their will for service must repent and seek forgiveness in Christ. However, there is hope for the slave, because if Christ has set them free from sin, they are free indeed. 1 Corinthians 7, 22 through 24, and I quote, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when is called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. So let your identity in Christ trump all other identities. Do your good work as unto the Lord, and in that there is great reward. Now, having said that, look with me today at today's primary sermon text. It's 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. And here we read this. Follow along as I read. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, They must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So here Paul speaks directly to those who are under the yoke as bondservants or slaves. But as I mentioned earlier, while slavery is illegal in our country, applying the principles taught here can very appropriately be applied to your employment. And so let me give you this morning a word about your work. First of all, in verse 1, you are taught to honor those for whom you work for the sake of Christ. Um, Honor has been an important theme in chapter 5 that we've learned already. And it continues here in the beginning of chapter 6. Relationships between older and younger men. Um, relationships between uh, older and younger women. They were important. Widows in particular, who were truly widows, were to be honored 
elders in the church were to be honored, even receiving double honor. Elsewhere, children are told to honor their parents in the Lord. Peter even um, makes, makes it clear that we should honor the emperor. Um, and when he said that, the emperor at that time did not have a reputation for treating Christians very well. And in fact, Peter said, honor everyone. But here Paul says, regard your own masters, or by application, your employers, regard them as worthy of honor. In other words, you respect them and obey them. You treat them as people who have great value in your eyes. You you do that in a genuine way out of reverence for Christ. There's no room for you to take cheap shots at your boss when you're sitting at the lunch table with coworkers. There's no room for you to be a troublemaker in the workplace. You should be a hard worker. You should be eager to carry out your duties and responsibilities faithfully and on time. Your, your boss should ask you once and you see to it that you follow through that with your work. You should be dependable. Um, n- no one benefits. No one benefits if you make life difficult for your employer. So don't be cantankerous. Listen, re- respect, obey your boss, of course, as long as he's not asking you to do something that would be a clear violation of Christ's command. But what is it that should motivate you to work in this way? Why should you honor your employer? This becomes really, really important. In fact, this gives the most menial menial of tasks great worth. Um, It It's not important what you do as much as for whom you do it. In verse 1, Paul says, Regard your own masters as worthy of honor, so that the name of God and the teachings may not be reviled. That that indeed is a worthy goal. So what, what should motivate you ultimately is to honor your employer and to work in such a way that the name of God and the teaching or the gospel may not be reviled. Uh, don't, don't let your attitude towards your employer or your attitude towards work itself make your Lord and Savior look bad. E- even the most menial of jobs is a glorious opportunity to display the beauty of God and his gospel. You're attitude and your work should draw people to Christ, not turn people away from Christ. So don't let how you approach work put a bitter taste in someone's mouth regarding Christ. Now, you claiming to be a follower of Jesus will in fact be meaningless, even damaging to Christ, if you disrespect your boss or badmouth your boss or you grumble or gossip or slander others in the workplace. There is 
no room to be lazy. There's no room to be dishonest, to be sloppy, to be careless, to be unfaithful in the workplace. If you want to show the world the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ. Uh, in a parallel passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, Paul says it like this, and I quote, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. It's important to honor your employer, even an unbelieving employer. In fact, God calls you to honor employer even if they don't treat you in a fair way. Listen to what the Spirit says through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, and I quote, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, sometimes that's easy to do. Other times it's hard to do, isn't it? But listen to what the Spirit says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I hope you see the weight of those words. You know, it's... It's, it's easy to respect and honor a boss that is fair. But if there is something that happens where you think your boss is being unfair, it's, it's easy to cop an attitude, to, to justify a, a bad work ethic, to begin to, to spread roots of bitterness throughout the rest of the employer employees towards the employer. And... The Spirit of God says that should have no, no part of, of your life. He expects us to honor those when they're good and even when they're not good. Do it for the sake of Christ. Uh, don't lose sight of God when you work. Do what you do for the sake of God's name and His gospel. He sees that when it's done in faith. And He rewards that. Um, folks, the, the fall 
has made work hard and toilsome. Um, if, if you're not motivated in your work for the sake of God's great name, work will continue to be hard and toilsome. But if you love and adore Christ, and if you want all people to see his character and beauty and glory in how you approach work, the curse of toilsome labor will begin to be reversed, even even work for an unjust boss. Now, interestingly enough, Paul addresses another problem in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 6, or 1 Timothy 6, excuse me. Apparently, some who had believing masters or employees thought they could kind of lighten up a bit. Um, but Paul, but God says through Paul that you should even more honor those for whom you work who are fellow believers for the sake of Christ. So don't respect or don't disrespect believing bosses. In fact, serve all the better since those who benefit are believers and beloved. So your quality of work should be even better, not worse, when working for a believer because they too are followers of Jesus. They too are God's beloved. Um, Or the term beloved may refer to your love for them. But either way, there should be no slacking off of your work when you have a believing employer. In fact, just the opposite. Be even more diligent because a follower, a fellow believer will benefit from your work. And in that, God is glorified. Now, as as we close this morning, I want you to know that work, work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. Um, Can you say that with me? Work is a good thing. Did did I hear you? Can you say it again? Work is a good thing. All right. I also want you to, I also want to say something that you already know, um, and it's this. In our current day, businesses are really struggling to find good workers today. I don't think that comes as a, a surprise to you. How many times... Do we go to a place of business, a restaurant, or someplace else, and there's a sign that says, please be patient, because we cannot find enough uh, people to really service you well. So they're doing the best that they can. But that's, that's a common problem that we, we see today. And in light of that, I would say this, more, more than ever, a good work ethic a good work ethic motivated to work for the sake of God's name and for the gospel has more opportunity than ever to be a bright light in a dark world. So the question is, will, will you, whether you are young or old, maybe it's you're approaching your first job, maybe you're even just doing some chores in the home, but whether you are young or old, single or married, I, I urge you to ask the Spirit of God to give you strength to really work for the sake of God's name. Let's pray together.
Father, this morning as we think about this text, I think, first of all, I pray for those in our country and around the world who are still enslaved by other people against their will. And, Father, I pray that you would, first of all, set them free in Christ, but then we pray that you would also set them free from their enslavers. Father, as we think about the truth, the principles that are taught here, as we think about our situation in our lives, we also know that you're, you're speaking to us today and you, you want our attention, you want us to think your thoughts about work and about how we go about work. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Um, help us even from a young age to to learn the value of work and the opportunity of work, to, to do work, hard work, to persevere in hard work in ways that reflect the character of Christ for the praise of your name. Let that motivate us more than anything else. Not just to get rich, not to make money, not to become powerful people, um, not to pursue the American dream, but Father, make us people who want to work by the power of your Spirit so people see you and come to love you with all of their heart. Um, Father, we confess we, we have all experienced the toilsomeness of work. Um, but Father, I'm thankful that by your Spirit, through the life that you give to us in Jesus, uh, you have begun to reverse that curse, and we praise you for that. So, Lord, help us every day to approach work and to think about work and those that we work for. Help us to think your thoughts about that and help us to be faithful in representing you well, displaying your character in ways that would be for the praise of your glory. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.